Yeah, there's something I wanted to touch on there. Yeah, so you talk about loneliness, and I think that's very interesting, like like word, because I think it's a particular type of loneliness. It's the, the loneliness of not being a part of of a of the story that everyone else has agreed on. Mm. Everyone else has an agreed upon story that this is how we live life. This is how you're supposed to do things. Here's how you make decisions. So it's a loneliness in the sense that you are saying like, okay, I'm, I'm setting that aside. Uh, my friend really likes the, like Arthurian legends and he talks, likes to talk about the, the forest adventurous. It's like when they were looking for the Holy Grail, most of that story is them like wandering around in the forest adventurous. We're like, we don't want, know where the fuck we're going. You know, <laughs> we're just like, it's getting very comfortable with that and trusting in that. It's like, this is what it feels like. I'm, 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 I'm going off a path that's like feels comfortable and I'm wandering but I will say it's possible to have companions with you in the forest adventurous. Mm -hmm. So there is a way that you can actually find kind of a deeper connection and friendship with other co-adventurers that are in that same place. They're like, Hey, we're knights searching for the grail. And that actually is, is that has a better sense of belonging than the belonging of like being part of this other, um, you know, normalcy for, for lack of a better term. So there's that. And I love, that's my favorite discovery is like, I want to find other people wandering in the forest and you find other people wandering in the forest and you're like, oh, you're wandering in the forest. You're looking for the grail too. It's like, oh yeah, we're both looking for the grail. It's an amazing feeling. And then what's the other thing you're, you're talking about? You're talking about, oh yeah, how do you relate to life and, and use life to apply a life towards your art? So I spent most of my life looking at life as like, how can I use this for art? And there's a way in which by doing that, I actually got in the way of, of really letting that benefit me, where it's always like, I'm looking at this tree. Ooh, I want to capture this so I can impress people with this cool insight I had about looking at this tree. Like your analyzing muscles flexing, but your intuition muscles not. Yeah, well, say. I would say there's something about it where I was, I was instrumentalizing my experience with life where my experience with life was only get good insofar as I could use it to create something that would make other people like me, really. Like, that's what it comes down to. Like, I want to do something where people are going to think I'm cool and they like me and think I'm brilliant. And so I prefer my way of relating to life. You talk about, like, going out, you know, being with people you love or going on a hike or however you're engaging with life, like, learning the skill of savoring life is now kind of like where, where I'm at, where it's like um, relating to something as some sort of sacred object, right? That has its own life and being able to, to um, yeah, feel that deeply, experience that deeply. That's <laughs> promising signs. <laughs> All right. Well, well, <laughs> <at least laughs> <laughs> oh dear, we can, get, we can finally get into it. Yeah. Happy days. Brandon Dayton, <laughs> how are you? This I'm doing well. Evening slash, what time is it over there? Um, just past noon here, yeah. Okay. Oh, I was yeah. worried it was going to yeah. be like six in the morning. <laughs> yeah, so technical difficulty aside, we can get into it. I've never had as many issues in that in such a small period of time. But yeah, so 
Um, <laughs> I suppose we should introduce people. Uh, Brandon Dayton. I did a... That Brandon Dayton is a, a graphic novelist. He's an artist, a designer. He's a stand-up guy. He's uh, the best guy. He's the patience of a saint. <laughs> also, um, his most noble work, uh, Green Monk. <laughs> uh, Green Monk, Blood of Martyrs. I've done a whole series of it on the channel, so give that a watch. Um, but let's get into it. Brandon Dayton, how are you doing today? Yeah, good. It's it's a beautiful day here, so good start of a day. Um, yeah, I'm just excited uh, to to connect with some new people. Um, you know. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> good to hear. Um, yeah, it must have been something else watching us trying to figure this stuff out. Um, so obviously you're a designer, and what got you into designing our storytelling in the first place? Yeah. Um, so. It's always been, I think, uh, something that I've I've been drawn to. You know, I, I think it was very early on that I, I knew I had intentions to make art in some way at, at some point in my life. Um, you know, very early influences. I, I can remember, um, you know, toward the end, end of grade school for me, things like um, Little Mermaid, um, Akira. Those were both like... Um, you know, animation, animated features that really had a big impact on me. Batman, the animated series was another one. And I started getting exposed to my first comic books, which were things like Judge Dredd, some of the 2000 AD stuff, which is a little unusual. Um, but it was kind of by unusual circumstances that me and my, my peers were introduced to, to, to stuff like that. Um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, you know, a lot of the standard what, what stuff. Is great? So we're from... Uh, Northern Ireland's Britain. We don't have grade school. What age range is that? So that's going to be, um, yeah, so I would have been around, this is all kind of like pre-puberty, puberty. You know, that's when stuff yeah, really hit yeah. for me that like, okay, I got really excited about art um, and making art. And I was also just like a totally horrible, I've never been a good student, you know? So there's this other part of me that was like, okay, I'm, I like to draw. I'm crap at all this other stuff. So, you know, maybe this, this, maybe this is the thing I'm going to do. Um, and, you know, over the course of my youth, my interests kind of shifted, but it was like animation. It was like when I was at one point, I was like, I'm going to be an animator, you know, and I was just totally enchanted by that. Um, comic books was, you know, in, in um, junior high, middle, middle school, it was very much like, oh, I want to make comic books. And then high school, it was, it was music, you know. Um, and it, that cycle kind of continued throughout my life, even up into to university, um, where I was like, oh, I'm going to make movies now. And then after I graduated, I was like, I had a hard time finding work doing that. And so I started working as an illustrator. And so um, I stayed with illustration, um, ended up working uh, in video games. So I did video game concept art for uh, probably a total of seven years altogether. Um, and then I finally, you know, talked with my wife and I said, I, I, I've, this, this whole time I'm trying to tell my own stories at this, you know, on the side, trying to create comics on the side or, or write scripts. And I kind of finally decided on comics and it was just happening very, very slowly. And I mean, some of this, I, I spoke with about a little bit on the interview with John, Jonathan, uh, Pajot. Um, but finally, I, I talked to my wife about it. And we're like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to quit and I'm going to focus on making 
or finishing Green Monk, which was already in, in process at that time. So, um, so you were you working at uh, Pixar? Was it when you quit, or was it the? No, so I worked at um, it was a um, division of Disney. Disney had a game studio division, like a video game division at that time. So there's a studio in Salt Lake City that was part of that division. I don't know if you're familiar with Disney Infinity. It's like yeah. the game we have little yeah. characters you put on a reader and they, they come into the game. So our studio was the one that developed that. Um, and it was going great. Like it seemed like it was going great. It was getting more popular with each release. And then out of the blue, Disney's just like, we don't like the risk of um, having a video game division. So they just shut it all down. So, but an interesting point on that is that studio they got shut down. They fired about half the people. That studio was then acquired by Warner Brothers. And there's the new Hogwarts Legacy game that's just being released. Mm. And that's that's the same studio that's releasing that game. So oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Apparently it's amazing. So I'm like, yeah, I've heard all my friends there. So did yeah. you leave as it shut down or timing was interesting actually? I uh um I remember having a chat with some of my coworkers there and just saying like you know, getting a work in, like working as an artist, like at a video game studio is funny because there's this sense of stability where it's like, oh, I'm salaried, you know, I've got benefits and it's, it's very unusual for an artist. Um, but I remember having a chat with them where I'm like, I think that's all bullshit. I think it's just like, you know, um, studios, like they have success and then they, they shut down and that's, there's just like this volatility there. Mm -hmm. And so I had decided to leave. I left about six months before the studio shut down. So I, I left, I started making Green Monk and then, I mean, it would have been better timing if I stayed cause then I would've got a severance package and all that. But um, yeah, I, yeah, I wasn't there for the actual shutdown. Uh, so how long do you, I knew you worked on Green Monk for years. Uh, was this, uh, so you left, is that the start of it or was it like a, how long have you been working on it really? Yeah. So um, the concept itself goes back to, to college for me. So it's, it's over 20 years old. And when I, the first like nugget of, Oh, here's a story I might want to do um, the first mini comic, which is the first time I actually made something um, but the first story with green monk that um, I released in, in 20, let's see, 2009, 2010, something around there. And then it was like, okay, I, it, it did really well. It it got an award, which is a, a prominent comic book award. And so I'm like, I should do a follow-up. And this is all while I'm working. And there was, there was just a bunch of false starts where it's like, oh, I'm going to do this. No, that doesn't make sense. Maybe I'll do this. This doesn't make sense. And I finally had a, had a discussion with my friend, um, Alan too, who's actually the, like one of the lead game designers on this Hogwarts, um, Hogwarts game. Um, and he kind of like convinced me, like, I need to know why to, I care about this character. And so that just, that made me like, realize like, oh, I got to tell the origin story of the character, like where he came from. And I kind of already knew the seeds of what that was going to be. So I'm like, I'm just going to tell that story. Um, and so I started while I was working at Disney. I'm trying to remember if I actually started this story at EA. I believe it was until I was at Disney that I started Blood of the Martyrs. I started working on Blood of the Martyrs and it was slow. It was like, I would work on a Sunday. I'd work on a page, you know, and I have a family and the game games business is very demanding. And so, um, I, you know, I made some, some attempts to try to, Oh, maybe I'll work, do it after work or something, but 
this is really a period of my life where kind of the burnout of working in games and being an artist like really hit me and I got very sick during this time. And so um, I, it was, it was slow going. I was like, geez, I'm doing a page a week. I'm never going to finish. I'm not going to finish this book, you know? <laughs> so, um, but then even after I left the games industry, it's like, I've been wanting to work on my own for years. And finally I left there and I was like, I feel like I'm in the worst mind state I've ever been in my life. I'm like so depressed. I'm in my basement. It's like dark and cold. And so the pace didn't pick up that much more when I left. I was, I was still like not making very good progress. Um, but I mean, little by little is a learning experience is like, okay, what do I, what do I want? What do I need to be creative? And eventually it's like, okay, I have to get out, out of the house. I picked up another comic job while I was working on it. And that that's the, um, the giant storyteller giants. I picked up that job. And so I'm like, okay, I can pay for a co-working space. Yeah. Uh, Right there. So I worked at a co-working space while I while I started doing that, and that like totally changed things. I'm like, oh, I'm out of the house, I'm around other people, and I was just suddenly I was just like got into this um, like routine where I really started making progress. So um, yeah, it was it was very a big learning experience, and the whole time I was like, I want to promote this, so. I was running a YouTube channel at the same time where I'm like, I'm going to do a YouTube channel and I'm going to like make art and just talk about like what it means to make art. So I was doing like a, a YouTube video like every week. And so um, it was, it was a pretty intense experience. It was a lot of work, um, but yeah, I'm happy with the results. So yeah, unreal. Really, really, really good. And yeah. I'm just wondering, so uh, I read Green Monk uh, quite recently and then the uh, Taylor's Daughter as well. I just read them sort of back to back and wrote some notes on it. And uh, honestly, I, I, I'm just a fan immediately, <laughs> to be honest. So from a fan, awesome. Really, really enjoy it. Um, but one thing that uh, I want to sort of understand about your mindset is obviously say you open up a copy of Green Monk, you know, every panel that you've drawn, you know, it's, it, it's going to be a completely different story to you that is to my fresh eyes, right? I see the story of Alexi and I'm fascinated and I'm gripped by it. But for you, you remember drawing sort of every line there and you remember kind of the process and the feelings of putting that panel right where it needs to be. I'm wondering, mm. would you be able to, would you be able to go back into that kind of mindset and and, and talk about that? Like, wh like when you do open up Green Monk, I'm, I'm giving a fresh new perspective sort of where you're at now essentially yeah so um i guess is is the, the question is kind of like what what's it like kind of in being in the middle of the creative process or is it more like looking back now or yeah sure, both what's the difference because you know, what's your perspective of the story while you're in it while you're writing it and then while yeah. then when it was you finished it right you know that's the final page that's done it's out there i can forget about it and then looking back on it however many years ago and yeah. they come out you know what's the difference of yeah how that's, you that's... relate to your own story because like sometimes um you can be so close to some of your writing it's like you, you know you don't really you know what you don't see the big picture you start to forget but then sometimes you may find some of your wrote years back and you completely forgot about it and it's you yes you wrote it but you're sort of seeing it from from new a new perspective yeah Oh man, I, I mean, I totally relate to that. I mean, especially as I'm thinking about like 
uh, when I watched your symbolic analysis of it, that very much like resonated with my experience afterwards. So I'll start with, I'll start with the afterwards and then I'll go back to, to what it was like <laughs> as I was making it. But it's so interesting that, and they feel very connected um, because they're very much as a sense of like, and this is something I'm learning as I create, as I create more, you know, there's a sense when you first start of like, I'm going to plan out and build this structure and I have this plan of how it's going to affect people and have these theories about how story is supposed to work, you know, but then as, as I'm actually in the process, there's kind of this discovery of, it feels more like I'm excavating something. I mean, I am creating, I am making decisions, but there's this discovery as well in the process of this thing that comes out that's like, that's this, this beautiful miracle that it kind of emerges. So I look back, I look back at Green Monk and I'll read it and I'll be like, it feels like a message that I've been given. And I didn't even know the contents of the message. I'll go back and read this comic and be like, oh my God, it's about like, you know, the thing that I really connected to in your analysis, that's another thing that I, I had kind of seen was like this whole thing about the masculine and the feminine, where it's like, this is what the masculine and the feminine means to me. And this is how I relate to it. Um, so there's so much to it. And I think this speaks to like, um, like these kind of Jungian ideas of there, there's something within us that, that we don't really even fully understand. There's this wisdom within us that, that we don't really control that well. And, and, and so more and more as an artist, I'm like thinking about like, how do I just like get out of the way of that, you know, and I can go back and I can look at the process of making Green Monk. Um, and there was, it was such like a challenging, harrowing process, you know, making this book for, for myriad of reasons, you know, balancing my life, trying to support a family while I'm making this thing. And the whole time there's just this sense of, I mean, as you guys were talking about it, the sense of like importance, like, like this is, this, this is important in some way and not in a grandiose way, like I'm going to change the world with this, you know, but just a sense of like that this matters, what I'm, what I'm doing right now, what I'm telling with this story, um, like matters in the most important way possible. You know, that it's, there's some, some, in some way I'm, I'm being true to something. Um, and I mean, it was like a beautiful experience. Like I think about the process of making it and the challenges and, you know, I would sit down with a page and I'm like, here's what I'm doing in the story. And it's like, there's so many challenges, I mean, the layout, figuring out the layout is, is like, just, just makes your brain break. Mm. You know, I'm trying to figure out the layout, how uh, things are going to go panel to panel. And then it's like, okay, today I'm drawing architecture and I have no idea how to do this. So I'm going to learn how to draw architecture. And it's like every, every panel, you're coming to a new channel, a new challenge. And every challenge is like, I have to learn how to do this for, for this to work. Um, and just kind of that feeling of, of taking on those challenges and feeling like I was able to create something beautiful out of that. It's like, yeah, I know how to draw a horse. Like that feels good to not, like, know how to draw a horse, you know? Um, yeah, so, yeah. Is, is a masterpiece, I think, anyway. Because um, one, one scene flows perfectly into the next. I think it's so coherent. But mm. as you said, um, it's almost like you're discovering the story on the way yeah. during the process. And I completely agree with you. Because say if I'm writing uh, like a short story, like a novel or a poem or like a song, I can't, I, you, you can't just, okay, I'll rush, I'll do this. You need, or at least I do anyway, I need to experience 
from the perspective of the story to tell the story it's a discovery uh which is which i think is interesting because you know yes you've got the analysis side of things um but if you can't create the story from there if that makes sense it's almost it almost is a discovery and then you can look back mm. which is quite interesting because um because I know Jonathan Peugeot talks about this, he's like two different muscles. It's the intuition muscle and then the analysis muscle. But mm. I think they're not two completely uh, disassociated things, I think, for because I need the primary intuition before I can get in the right trail, if that makes sense. Mm. And part of why I think I was able to uh, analyse Green Monk so well is because I really related to that story. I was like, that was my story um, being told <laughs> through this weird s- semi-fantastical novel. Like, you were sort of telling my story, which is how I was able to relate to it, which is also how, um, you know, because I'm also looking through your other bits of work here. Uh, also, really good work. And I was, I was like, stumped on a bit. I was like, what is, what is this done? And I was thinking... Well, I was able to understand the other story because, well, I, I've seen I was this guy in this situation. And then as soon as I said that, I was like, wait a minute, I'm also in this situation. I just never, I never released it to myself. And as soon as I released it to my own story, I was able to realize, oh my goodness, this does make sense. If that make, you know. Yeah. I think just from what Josh is saying there is, um, and what you were talking about, you, it, it almost it almost sounds like you have this kind of sense of duty to finish mm. it, you know, a, a mm. sense of responsibility. Um, even though it, it comes from your own head, the you, you think about the benefits and you think about the, I mean, I mean even the prices that you've paid, it's like, I'm going to pay these prices because I believe one day it's going to be worth it. Um, I, I find it very admirable that when you said it is like a message from your past self to you now, you know, it's like a time machine that way. And that's the beautiful thing about art and literature and things like that, because no matter how many times you pass it, you know, uh, on the street or, 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 you, or you open it up for, for like the third time that month, it's like, oh, I can, I can find something different. There's uh, there's one part in the, it's, it's full of amazing sort of scenes, but there's one part part that I really enjoyed. It was the part where, um, there's the man in the stocks, mm. and uh, and uh, he says, oh, I'll I'll give, and he, he's he's begging for water. And he goes, oh, I'll give him a drink of water, and he goes, and he actually does, and it's a little sip, and then the guard starts beating him, and then the the older guy comes in and he says, look, uh, I would probably go if you want to keep your head, because all these townspeople were really really crazy about beating a holy man. And it got me wondering, it's like, that seemed normal behavior, you know, like you go and you look at someone's stocks and you show pity to them. And it's like, it's this ideal kind of, if if I was in that position and if I had this kind of, or it's not even if I do, it's I want to be that kind and I want to be able to put myself out there and be that confident to provide even just a tiny sip of something, despite there being guards. Um, The validation he got was all these townspeople were like, how, like, are, are angry at the guards but i find when you relate it to today you you almost wonder do people take that risk anymore mm. do people kind of you know just stretch out just for a little bit in order to help what you know others are despite sort of backlash or whatnot and often times people fear backlash from one individual when you realize that the whole world could love it look at green monk for example i see green monk as 
you know, you giving that little sip of water to people. Uh, Josh certainly relates <laughs> to the whole story. You know, we, we feel like we're in shackles sometimes. And then all of a sudden we have this thing that makes us feel freer than ever. And, mm. uh, and that's the beautiful thing about art. And I suppose I'm wondering, did you, like you said, it's this message that really, really matters. And it's, it's just mm. like, I, I think that's what this world needs more of, not necessarily in the forms of, well, actually, yeah, in the, in the, in the forms of art and things, it gives us that, sort of quenches that thirst almost. And I think as young guys as well, that we really sort of latch onto that. You know, we're really inspired by that kind of um, behavior, I should say, um, and what we can do to kind of change our ways to, to be more, you know, because it's very spiritual. You know, you've got voice, you know, you've got especially the really important scene where he, he chooses a weapon and he refuses and he refuses and then he picks a blade of grass. Even that, it's it's so leveled. It's like I don't want this, but then I do. But I don't. But then I, you know, it's kind of that tug of war within ourselves, that ordering chaos, and it's 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 just it's just a fascinating sort of uh, thing. And I was just wondering. Um, so Josh and I are really really fascinated by art and and um, and creativity and things like that. I've written a number of poems that I haven't. I want to publish, but I haven't written nearly enough and things like that. Um, and I've been, as you said, when you were in college, you have this kind of explosion of color and, and, and world building and story craft. I'm wondering how, and, you, and, and just on the backdrop of what I was saying there, but you want to tell a story that really matters. How do you transport that, transport that sort of burst of creativity into a linear, into like a path, you know? And I know, you, and I know yeah. you were saying, uh, well, I kind of just, you know, went. I had that responsibility, but look at the message, you know, the message, the sip of water. That is now, that's now in the present. Okay, that was in the past. Now we're in the present. We've got that water. And if you're, you're you said you're going to continue, Green Monk, are you more confident in your ability to continue, Green Monk, or do you still have these kind of explosions in your head where you're like, what do I do? That's really. Uh, interesting you should ask that um, and, and it's interesting I'm, I'm like keying on a few things you said you said duty at the beginning of that which um, yeah I'm resonating with that like this idea of duty which is something that I looked at it a different way when I was younger so I grew up in a religious um, religious background and so it was very much like what are, what are my what are the things that I have to do what are the things I'm expected to do to be accepted within this this culture within this community and there's a difference between that and then having a feeling of duty where it's like, this is what I was meant to do, if that makes sense. And it's a much more embodied feeling and it doesn't feel like, oh, damn, I got to like, I've got to do this responsibility. But it's, it's, it's that type of duty is the type of duty that like um, energizes you, right? It's like, it's what gives you fuel to know like, okay, this is why I'm here, you know? Um, and you talk about like, making the choice of like being brave enough to kind of step out of your comfort zone and to, to show some sort of act of kindness. And I, I think certainly like Lexi is, is definitely this idealization of that for me, where it's like, this is the type of person where even if he's not very smart about it, he's like, I'm going to make that choice and kind of like, uh, according to my integrity and I'm, I'll learn the lesson that I need to by, by, by taking the, take, making that choice. Um, and then this question of like, okay, so there is this like 
whatever you want to call it, some sort of eros, some sort of like drive to create. And it can be so undifferentiated. It could be like, I've got 10 different ideas for the next thing I want to do. And it's like, but what is the, what is the choice that I make? Um, and that's like, that's like the key to everything right there. It's like, um, what is the path? Um, and it's funny for me because, um, I really haven't, I, I haven't really made any art for the last, uh, maybe three and a half years. So after Green Monk, I really stopped making, I had another comic I was, I had started working on, but it was mostly because like, I felt like, oh, I need to, I need to have something to follow up Green Monk. It's like, okay, what's next? I have to make another comic. I got to pitch something else. Um, I mean, if you want to look at my Instagram, you, you can see some of, some of this other thing. And I think it's like a really cool project that I was working on. I mean, at some point I would like to return to it, but, um, I, I went through kind of like my own kind of midlife existential crisis where I ha I came to this insight that like, oh, like my identity isn't as an artist. Like I don't have to identify, like that there was a way in which like seeing myself in an artist was actually restricting me. Mm. It was, it was restricting what I was seeing as possible. And I had to let that go and, and have the courage to say like, okay, even though I've invested in all this. I need to make the next step needs to be, I have to be, have some sort of integrity with, with whatever the next step is. And it happened to be that it kind of took me away from making art. So, um, I, yeah, I, I mean, I'm sorry. I really like what you, uh, what you said there, um, about making that choice and also about, uh, that kind of, this is my, identity sort of this is who I am but I need to I need to let go of that or and, mm -hmm. and I, I think the word that comes to mind is expectation you know what are the expectations of me to all of these you know that and that then obviously resonates with duty and responsibility and things like that I certainly feel um uh, that especially with just the podcast and stuff like that that we've been uh, working on Josh far more than me uh, is the idea that you know oh well do we just follow expectations? Do we go to uni and do we just be this student and then we grow up and we get a job, we have a family, you know, all, all good things, you know, all things that we feel as young guys are expected of us, but then we have brains, you know, and we have hearts and we're, and we're ready to kind of, you know, offer the world, not as if we know better, not at all. It's to show that actually we don't know anything at all on, on, on these kinds of levels. And this is why I think reaching out to, uh, people in professions such as yourself uh, as young guys and girls um, is so important to, you know, to, to, be, to becoming uh, a better person than they were when they first listened to you, for example. You know, it's about inspiration. You may not feel like a particularly inspiring person, but you can inspire millions as you've done, you know, and it's, it's a really, really interesting perspective to have when you realize, actually, I have a gift in in this and i have a drive and a sense of duty to do this on the backdrop of everything else i suppose what you're saying is you just got to listen to that yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then, so so you had this struggle whether like is my identity an artist and you're like well mm -hmm. no i was you find that restricting did you think of yourself as oh i'm an artist that's why i'm during your process of writing green monk or is this after yeah very much as i was doing green monk i definitely identified with myself as an artist and it's it's not one of these things where i think it's all black and white either it's kind of one of these things where i kind of let go of 
of a definition of artist that was restricting me, but in the process, there was kind of a new definition that emerged that, that has been more liberating for me, if that makes yeah. any sense. And there's a degree to which that was always there, you know? It's like all the best parts of what I did with Green Monk, like all the most trustable parts of myself, like those kind of, those, I kept those parts of being an artist, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but it was this part that was like, making myself miserable honestly that was like jesus i have to do this i've got to do this i'm i'm a piece of crap if i can't be successful or, or whatever it is there's all these ways it was restricting me and letting it go now it's like oh creativity is not just me making art but it's also creativity is like how i get up in the morning and it's how i relate to other people and it's the choices i make and it's how i talk to people and um you know it's everything creativity is just like part of life and just owning that in a more embodied sense i guess yeah for me i think personally uh, so i'm i would say i'm an artist uh, to at least to some degree um you know i'm i like making music i like i like making stories that sort of thing no matter what form it is i think right now i'm actually called i think i'm called to make some music hmm. now in the same way you were called to make uh, green monk you had all these ideas going back years, you know, what made, what allowed you to prioritize what ideas to, to finish? Cause you know, as an artist, the, the trouble isn't getting the ideas, it's the finishing of the ideas really. So yeah, can you speak yeah. to more of your writing process of like, how do you, you've got all these ideas, which ones do you do? Yeah. Yeah. This is something I'm starting to, uh, understand better. Um, and I'm learning more about, um, it is, there is kind of a testing process. I mean, there's some people that they can just sync up with like, whatever they can sync up with the marketing machine and the, and the kind of business machine that makes books or comics. And they're like, okay, what is wanted? I'm going to produce that. I'm going to fit it in there. And that, that kind of doesn't, doesn't work for me. Um, so for me, it's, it's very much a a process of like, um, like paying attention to like, what is most alive for me. Yeah. And that's the main thing. And sometimes, sometimes it is a little bit like, it isn't clear. And so I do have to like, well, let's try some things out. I may try some things out. And as I try things out, it's like, okay, I'm hitting up against a wall here. I'm hitting up against a wall here. And then suddenly it, there's this feeling and it's a very, it's a very embodied feeling. Like it feels like there's suddenly an opening in front of me. Like literally there's this sense of like, oh, a path is opening up in front of me. Um, so I try to pay attention to that a lot more. I think, I think uh, we talk about, you talk about analysis and intuition um, with those types of decisions. Analysis can help inform things but the decision is always happening coming from a place that's much more mysterious. You know, you want to call it wisdom, something like that. But that's something I feel like I've not, I, I wish I would have spent a lot more time in my life getting good at paying attention to that. Yeah. Like what, what feels that kind of feeling, what feels right. Um, so yeah, I think that's kind of it. And I'm, I'm still in the midst of it. Like that's still the way I live my life now is like, all right, I think this is the next step. And I take a step and I can't see further than the next step. Like, it's always like, okay, I don't know what's coming next, but let's do this. And then things yeah. open up a little bit more. Um, 
yes, yeah, so I was. I saw I was asking that question because I don't think I wasn't expecting there to be like some. Oh, here's what you do here because that's part. That's part of the process. I think I don't think it really could be any other way. But yeah, it's like you said. You're sort of amongst this fog, looking for the through line, and all of a sudden, there it is. But until then, you're sort of bumped into the walls. Really, I. I liked what you said about uh, sort of creativity is all around you. It's, it's a process you involve with uh, every day. Um, well, well, so it, I think it takes, and you can, you can you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it takes a bit of loneliness as well. You know, it takes a bit of sitting sitting down. Well, I suppose um, this is the kind of what people think. You know, authors and, and artists are like they kind of sit in a corner and they sit there and they think up, and then all of a sudden they've got this. But actually, it's as you said, it's walking down the street and meeting someone. And I suppose the skill that I'm trying to sort of learn is how do I take what I've just experienced, whatever it may be, you know, uh, going on a date with my girlfriend, how do I take those feelings and apply them into a character that I'm trying to develop um, mm -hmm. once? Or how do I take the feelings of um, seeing somebody being quite mean <laughs> on the on the street and how do I develop that? And I suppose it's it's kind of like... You're like a vacuum cleaner you're just taking everything in and and you're wondering how can i how can i see the world in a way that this will benefit my art or my creativity and in a way it's not even just for art's sake i think it's just it can be quite a humbling experience as well just as people if people learned to be creative in everything that they do not in the sense of creating something but in a sense of bettering themselves i guess yeah um yeah there's something i wanted to touch on there yeah so you talk about loneliness and i think that's very interesting like like word because i think it's a particular type of loneliness it's the loneliness of not being a part of of a of the story that everyone else has agreed on mm. everyone else has an agreed upon story that this is how we live life this is how you're supposed to do things here's how you make decisions so it's a loneliness in the sense that you are saying like okay i'm, I'm setting that aside uh, my friend really likes like Arthurian legends and he talks, likes to talk about the, the forest adventurous. It's like when they were looking for the Holy Grail, most of that story is them like wandering around in the forest adventurous. We're like, we don't know where the fuck we're going. You know, <laughs> we're just like, it's getting very comfortable with that and trusting in that. It's like, this is what it feels like. I'm, 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 I'm going off a path that's like feels comfortable and I'm wandering. But I will say it's possible to have companions with you in the forest adventurous. So there is a way that you can actually find kind of a deeper connection and friendship with other co-adventurers that are in that same place. They're like, hey, we're knights searching for the grail. And that actually is, is that has a better sense of belonging than the belonging of like being part of this other, um, you know, normalcy for, for lack of a better term. So there's that. And I love, that's my favorite discovery is like, I want to find other people wandering in the forest and you find other people wandering in the forest and you're like, oh, you're wandering in the forest. You're looking for the grail too. It's like, oh yeah, we're both looking for the grail. It's an amazing feeling. And then what's the other thing you're, you're talking about? You're talking about, oh yeah, how do you relate to life and, and use life to apply a life towards your art? So I spent most of my life looking at life as like, how can I use this for art? And there's a way in which by doing that, I actually got in the way of, of really letting that benefit me, where it's always like, I'm looking at this tree. Ooh, I want to capture this so I can 
impress people with this cool insight I had about looking at this tree. Like your analyzing muscles flexing, but your intuition muscles not. Yeah, well, I would say there's something about it where I was was instrumentalizing my experience with life, where my experience with life was only good insofar as I could use it to create something that would make other people like me, really. Like, that's what it comes down to. Like, I want to do something where people are going to think I'm cool and they like me and think I'm brilliant. And so I prefer my way of relating to life. You talk about, like, going out, you know, being with people you love or going on a hike or however you're engaging with life. Like, learning the skill of savoring life is now kind of, like, where where I'm at, where it's, like, um, relating to something as some sort of sacred object, right, that has its own life. And being able to to um, yeah feel that deeply, experience that deeply, you know. Did you, like, did you use the word savor? Yeah, yeah. See, that's also a really interesting word because, like, if you imagine all the times you're saving something, you're really are taking it in. Mm-hmm. It's like you're mm-hmm. still you're in the moment. You're yeah. savoring it. Mm-hmm. That's a really good way of looking at it. So it's sort of like that sort of Christian mindset of um, everybody's made in the image of God. So treat them accordingly, essentially. Like they have that ability, they have that, you know, creator-esque element to it. And then as do you. So how how are you meant to treat that? How are you meant to resonate with that? Um, you know, and all of a sudden passing someone on the street means a completely different thing. You know, yeah. it's not just passing someone on the street, it's 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 having that moment, as you say, it needs to be saved, and it's a precious thing. You know, it's 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 something that is constantly overlooked. It's, it's something it's it's called communication. You know, it's it's essentially saying, here's a moment, but how do I communicate effectively? Not with the people I'm sharing the moment with, but what what feelings are being developed in that sort of moment? You know, what 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 messages am I receiving from this, and what what messages am I am I sending out to the world? You know, in a very physical form, like a comic book. You know, that was a certainly as a message that you said needed to be said it's something that mattered but even even this here conversation that we're having that's that's recorded you know or even even just smaller things like a letter to someone or whatnot you know what what are these messages and you said yourself it was like a message from your past self to your future self you know time flew by and i don't know if you felt that but here we are in the present you know, I even I, kind of I want even I, want to kind of correct that a little bit because I don't think it was so much even a, a message from myself in the past. It, it feels like a message from something bigger than myself is is what I would say. Actually, you want to use the word like something divine, like um, yeah, that's how mm-hmm. it feels to me. Where it's something, like, oh my god, something like, that mattered. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So on your note, um, of like how do I walk down the street in a way that's going to further whatever artistic vision you have. You know, back to what Brandon said, you know, if you're really savoring the moment, you're also not correct. You're, if you're saving in the moment, you're, yes, you're sort of holding on to it a wee bit, but you're not like grasping on it. You can't leave. It's like you're letting it through past you and you're actually being present there. Mm. And there's an aspect of that where, you know, again, as Brandon said, it would be a blockage for you to think, how is this going to be used? Yeah, how am I yeah. going to do this? Yeah. my third stanza will do well in this situation yeah. you know it's not so yeah. there's an element where you know maybe you shouldn't think about it too much <laughs> yeah really maybe you know uh, give yourself some less headaches maybe along the way 
you really have to you really have to drop all of your expectations from whatever you're experiencing which is it it takes time i mean for me i grew up religious and i kind of i kind of let like let that go i left the church that i was raised in and actually ended up doing a lot of like meditation that came from like a buddhist background and it wasn't it was kind of through that experience that i came to a place where like um words like divine and God started making sense to me. Like, but it was, it was through that practice of being like, how can I relate to something without expecting something of it, without demanding of it? Or even sometimes having the sense of like, I'm looking at this tree and I want it to be beautiful. And I feel sad because it doesn't feel beautiful to me right now. Mm. How can I like let that go and let the experience be precisely what it is? Um, So yeah, it's it's a process. It takes time to learn to relate in that way. Um, well, I think it's interesting because it relates back to if I um, when I say when I'm doing my artistic things, when I'm in a flow state, you know, if you know a flow state, which I suppose is this thing we've been talking about, it's when you're you're zoned in, you see the three line, the fog's gone, all these other things we've been talking about. It's often come after a time where i've done some deep praying you know real mm. deep praying not like not like kind of prayers that i'll put off a few things here off my day it's like you're zoned in there's like a deep silence like a stillness mm. and i'm praying is that does that make sense to you yeah absolutely especially when you say stillness it makes me curious yeah. about like what what prayer is like like for you i get because i get a sense that it is more about like thank you for this and please give me this um yeah, yeah well it's, it's very interesting I'll, I'll open up about myself i suppose so i'm we're both christians uh mm-hmm. we're you know we're uh not ashamed of that fact um so would love to have a chat about what your perspective is on that as well but yeah. You know, I suppose, let me think. What the, There's one prayer specifically that sort of changed my, changed the way I saw prayer. And it's actually from the Orthodox uh, Christians, and it's the, it's the Jesus prayer. Hmm. And Jesus prayer is basically, Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And that's, that's the prayer. And that's it, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, and it's, you, you can relate that to your breathing in. Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. So the, the idea is you breathe in, it's Jesus Christ, Son of God. Breathe out, I'm a sinner. So it's like more Jesus coming in, sin leaving. And so it's basically putting a focus, not on yourself, but of Jesus Christ and what, not just Jesus Christ, but what he did for you. And I think you're supposed to just repeat that prayer and this kind of idea you're supposed to, it's in your very breath. Now, I'm not, I'm no saint, I'm no monk, you know. Um, so obviously I'm not perfect, but I do, it's, there's this real sit stillness, mm. I find, mm-hmm. especially with that prayer. Um, now, I'm not limiting to that prayer. I've had that experience with other prayers, more in, informal prayers, not prayers that are sort of pre-planned or written out but I, I find it easiest to get into that sort of zone of stillness of mm-hmm. complete calmness when I do that prayer just because there's, there's not there's so little there's no elements to it 
there's so few elements mm-hmm. to it, but it's like it's zoning in on what's needed. Mm-hmm. If that does that make sense? Um, yeah, I mean, um, I think that's really cool. Uh, it's something that I kind of found out after I finished Green Monk is is I had this like vague idea that monks are doing something in monasteries and like what are monks doing in monasteries like i don't know they're they're writing scripture or something it wasn't until after when i started researching things more that's like oh monks are doing contemplative practice that's what they do in monasteries they're there to to have this direct develop this direct connection with god you know and it's doing doing prayers like you're describing that's what they were doing and they're they were on these weird schedules where they're getting up at all hours of the night to pray. So they're kind of interrupting their like normal way of thinking, getting in these like states of mind where they're, they can kind of let, let these uh, ways of limiting themselves go, whatever you want to call it. Um, And so, yeah, I'm also, I like, uh, I'm, I have an interest in like mystical practice and what you might call like comparative mystical practice. And so I look at like, like what these monks were doing and you look at like Buddhist practices and you can also look at like Kabbalah or um, what's, what's in, in Islam. There's a version of this as well. It's escape like Sufism and there's people that do this and you kind of look at these different practices and it's like, you read like St. Teresa de Avila or I say John of the cross and they're talking about their spiritual practices and you can look at like Buddhist stuff and it's like, they're kind of talking about the same thing. So I, I kind of come from this perspective, this this ecumenical, mystical perspective, where I'm kind of like, oh, like this connection with the divine, um, kind of direct connection of the divine, can kind of be done in different ways. Um, but then at the same time, there's like, but your path is like the straight and narrow. Like whatever your path is, is like it's going this way, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that makes any sense, but yeah, absolutely. A thing that reminded me in in uh, in Green Monk, you have sort of in the beginning, he's learning about the monastery, and the reason it's the blood of the martyrs is essentially it's because you've got the three kinds of monks that were coming in by the Templars. You got the uh, the ones who were cowardly and they fled and they were killed first, and then you have the fighters. You know, the ones who the, the zealous we call them, them zealous. You know, they're like, no, this can't possibly. And they believe that their anger is righteous, and so they go out and attack, and then they're killed, obviously next because they're monks. You know, they're not they're not knights and warriors. But then it was the third kind, the ones who were going to praise until the very end, pray, uh, pray, and, and 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 things like that. And they the knights looked at that and saw the piety and and realized, you know, they were they were so ashamed of themselves, and then they joined the monastery. And I suppose, and I suppose it's this it's this complete an utter uh, search for goodness, but it, goodness in its most sort of complete form. I think that's it. The, this idea of what good is, if you can be that pious and good that can stop even the most murderous night on a blood lust, you know, there's that something calming. Something. I think the word you're looking for is beauty. Beauty, even. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's an interesting thing. Um, and I suppose when we do find ourselves in these uh moments of stillness we are essentially reaching out into something and extracting something beautiful and something good because we believe it is for good if you know what i mean Mm. Um, and you can apply that to yourself or you can save it for that time you know it's very flexible 
but it's just an interesting thing to think about, I guess. So, if I get this correct, uh, you grew up in the Mormon Church, the Church of Latter Day Saints, or where mm. we call it. So, how um, do you feel comfortable uh, talking about that experience? Um, Absolutely, how, yeah. How did that affect your the stories you were telling, your story writing process? You know, what was it like leaving? Um, why did you leave? Just all that. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's a good story. Um, well, I mean, so if you look at the very beginning of the book, it's dedicated to my grandfather, Sharon Reed Dayton. So he was, he was, you know, born 1907. So he was like old school, um, like classical Mormon patriarch. So he was just like a very devout guy, uh, you know, rural, uh, worked on a ranch, but then he was also the way that Mormonism works. Um, the clergy are all lay clergy. So it's like, you don't have any sort of paid clergy, which is part of the ethics of Mormonism. And so he was, he was what you call a bishop for, for decades, which is, which is kind of the leader of the local congregations that are called wards. And he was a stake president, which is also like, that's like a larger, you're kind of a leader of a larger group, but all as a lay, as a lay person. So very, very dedicated to, to the LDS church his whole life. Um, he donated land for them to build uh, the church where there's a, the town my dad grew up in, there's a church where my grandpa do donated land. So it's very much within my um, my background, um, growing up in Mormonism, these, these ideas of authentic spirituality, some sort of like authentic heartfelt dedication to, to God. Um, so, and I definitely saw that within my grandfather. Um, but within myself, my experience uh, with the LDS church was one of, of a kind of tension where I felt some sort of authentic, like, like connection through, um, through Mormonism. You know, I remember reading the book of Mormon as a young kid and feeling really struck by that. Like this feels important. And as they call it in, in the LDS church, they say gaining a testimony where it's like, okay, no, this is true from, for myself, but feeling this tension of, I feel this very personal, um, like dedication or belief, but I felt like the community around me, like it never felt a part of my ward growing up. And then as time went on, I looked at the institution itself and I was a missionary, like I was a Mormon missionary as, as a young man. And I, again, that was like this opportunity for this closer connection to God throughout this, this, the process. But um, coming in conflict with maybe other um with my leaders or like other people I was working with where I had this very clear idea about, about what was right and wrong. And they're like, yeah, but this is what the official policy is. And so I would say that if I were to sum up my experience of leaving very simply, although it was a very long and agonizing process, it came down to this tension between my kind of personal authentic spirituality and this institutional uh, conformity, like where you have this church that says, being good is about doing these rituals. It's about, you know, paying your tithes. It's about this and this and this. And we get to judge whether you're, you're doing that well or not. Right. And eventually deciding like, no, I have to, I have to trust more in my own spirituality and let that guide me and, and decide what is, what is true. And so I eventually made the difficult decision to leave. Um, and, uh, uh, which was, it's, it's, a uh, 
before you leave a church, you're always like, okay, it's going to be fun on the other side. It's going to, I get to party on the other side because I haven't been able to drink or, you know, do drugs or, you know, um, have sex. And, and it turns out on the other side, it was that it's very, very painful on the other side. Um, you know, it's as all, as all like stories go, you leave the comfort of home and you go into the wilderness and it's, it's, it's pretty challenging in the wilderness. Um, but eventually finding in my own way, um, uh, kind of finding like my own treasure throughout that process. You know, you fight some dragons and whatever, and then eventually you're like, okay, I, I like, at least I, I don't know if I have the grail in hand, but it's like, I, I can see it hovering off in the distance and I, I know the direction. It's like, I feel very good about my path in life, uh, spiritual path in life. Um, so yeah, I don't know uh, that is where you wanted to go, but I'm, I'm happy to answer any other questions about the details of that. Yeah, so you essentially, it wasn't, something wasn't lining up with, you know, there was a difference between your own personal spiritual life and what they were saying, essentially, is that, and practicing? Is yeah. That yeah, and it really comes down to this tension between authority and the spirit. So within the LDS church, they teach what they call following the spirit. And that's this is how you know truth is by following this the spirit. But then at the same time, they say, you have to follow the prophet, you know? And then things really get messy when you- probably probably Joseph Smith. Is that yeah, or, yeah. And there's a current, there's a current, you know, leader of the church that's considered the prophet of the church and you follow your leaders and then there's a hierarchy. And so um, being righteous, you're being told that following the spirit is being righteous, but also following- you know, conforming to the system is righteous. And those things eventually come in tension, come into conflict. Um, and I had a good friend that actually asked me this question that set, set me on my course where he said, what would happen if the spirit told you to leave your, leave the church? And that just didn't even seem like a possibility to me at that time. Um, but it eventually led me to asking that question. And I was like, okay, um, you know, just seeing some of the the policies they they were enacting that I disagreed with, and then, it, but it, at the end of the day, it was just it was something I just felt. I remember just um, being appointed to a certain leadership position, and when that happened, I just remember being in a meeting and just feeling like my heart is just not in this, and I just knew I knew at that point that I'm just like this is this is it's just a matter of time before I leave. Um, so it was similar to your story right? process. You only see one step ahead of you, but you knew that was the direction. Yeah, that was one of those things where I I knew the traje trajectory pretty clearly. Yeah, well, <laughs> and it just took time. I mean, it was a it was hard just to like just to change all these ways I I had done things in the past. It was hard to say no to people. I mean, just you. I was raised where you just never say no to people within the context of growing up in this church. So mm. the process of saying no was just very, very difficult. The process of telling my my family, um, that was that was very challenging. Um, and I also, I had started practicing meditation before I left the church. And so that was another thing where I had been told the church is special because you feel all these special things when you're at church. And I started practicing meditation and I was like, oh, I'm feeling all this stuff while I practice meditation. And then sometimes I feel it more when I'm practicing meditation than when I'm at church. And so then there's this question is like, oh, is, the, is it the church that's doing this thing? Or is it like, is it something here that's doing this, that's, that's causing it? So 
Yeah. I think it's one thing to look out for that's maybe dangerous and it's it's an issue with all these esoteric things you mentioned. Um is sometimes you can you can have this uh it's almost like a secret spiritual life and you can it's always hidden away from the real world really you, you know and you sort of i'm not saying that you're doing this like but um you know I, i'd say it's good to go to a church and like you may say well what if church is what if i church, find church boring it's like well it's not the point it's the fact that it's kind of messy it's the kind of fact that it's broken and like the, you know the is dirty and messy it doesn't work the people have fall nights here and there but that's part of it's part of your growth really as a person of your your trials and tribulations it's like do you know do you understand what i'm saying here it's like yeah we need to live together you know because that's what it means to love someone you can't love someone off on your your own doing your own esoteric spiritual life although you, it doesn't deny it but if 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 it's if it's a life that denies a uh, meeting with people like on purpose because you just don't like it you know then it comes into question are you following a spirit of of love does that make sense now obviously we're all not perfect people we all have our own natural inclination we all like spending time with people more than others you know it's a balancing act uh but that's just says it, it is a balance act with you know there's issues and good things on one side and there's issues and good things on the other side um another thing i'd say you got interested in like say buddhist practices did you say meditation that yeah, sort of stuff. yeah. um and i said you looked across this whole spectrum of esoteric stuff the problem with that is you can run into another issue of uh, like as if you're above all these things and you're not mm. necessarily a part of one. You can pick one thing from here, pick what you like from here, and you're not in the story of any. Mm. And that's like that seems very dangerous because you know, say you've got um say your story, right? The story of Alexei the Green Monk. Yeah. You can't <clears throat> you can't follow the story, you can't uh, you can't be a part of the story pretending that you're not from Alex's point of view or any any individual's point of view, you'd be like, oh, I'm above here. Isn't it stupid that he did this because X, Y, Z? Well, you're not living the story because you need... Does that make sense? I'm probably following my words here, but... Like, yeah, no, I, I want to... Yeah, so I think you speak to some things that really, really connect with me. Um, and one is this, like, connection, like connection to, to community and to place and belonging. And one of the interesting things that I've come to is that I actually find more of a connection to Mormonism now. Um, and, I, you know, I, I don't participate in the LDS church. There still are like, like issues that prevent me, but I totally acknowledge there's people that can be part of the church and have a very authentic spiritual, um, you know, path there. Um, yeah, we'll see how this lands on you. I, I recently have just like watched Moana and I really like Moana um, because I think it captures this this narrative very very nicely. Where she is, she's in within her um, island, and she's told everything you need is in the island. You don't have to leave the leave the island, you know. Um, 
but she like has this call. She's like, the, the, the sea is calling me. I feel this call. And she discovers, she discovers that like, oh, my people were actually explorers. They don't leave the island now, but they used to explore. They used to explore all these different islands. And throughout the, throughout the entire, and she, she decides to leave, right? She decides to leave. Um, but the whole time, she never lets go of the tension. This tension between, I have this call to the sea, and I love my island. And those, that tension like never breaks, you know? She's like, I'm the, I'm the daughter of the, the chief, but the sea calls me. Um, and there's this sense, even as they are, there's this, this song that the explorers sing and they say, we explore, we explore out and, and find new islands, but we know our way home. So I'm very much with this idea of how do we explore and how do we leave the safety of home? And, and you say the word like there is, there's, it's dangerous, like there is a danger in the exploration. So how do we leave home and and but know our way home and, and have the ability to bring back some sort of treasure, you know? Yeah. Bring some sort of treasure back home. So um I don't know, that's how that kind of lands on me. And that's I feel this this connection now to my heritage in a way that's kind of like revitalized, but it's happened through that exploration where I've left kind of the safe the safe confines of of my particular village. Um yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like uh, to bring it back to your grandmother out there, you have this dying tradition of like an mm -hmm. old monastery full of old men, and he he has to leave to you know yeah. revitalize the whole situation, and obviously it involves it. There's a scandal involved in that, and it's not quite sure what to where to place it. But that, I think that's part of the story. Uh, to yeah, leave, but yeah, I love that you point out the missing eye of the hegemon. Like yeah. that's not something I had really like even intended or thought about. But, yeah, but not it's just funny because like that's something I would do on purpose. Be like, ah, oh, you know, because it's so in your face. Um, yeah, funny. Um, yeah. What was your opinion in the whole series? As a whole? You know, I I thought it was lovely. Um, like I like I said, it uh, it, it kind of brought up for me this idea of. I'm not the I'm not in the master of my own creations. I mean, people talk about these things about like connecting to the muses or whatever, or being the voice of, and it's not, I'm I'm not like speaking for God or like being a conduit for God, where it's like I'm not trying to say anything. I I I did try to say something meaningful and clever, but like all the best stuff I look at it and I feel like I wasn't even conscious of yeah. what was being communicated with with a lot of this stuff that's being told to you yeah there's all these simple symbols that i was i was being drawn to or that resonated with me where it's like i want it to feel this certain way this seems important um you know and then and at, afterwards i see like oh this is a story about the masculine and the feminine this is about someone being raised within this law and this order and the constraints of that and then like being called to creativity and to, and to danger and to risk. Um, and I, I was not aware of any of that when, when I was in the process of, of writing yeah. it. Um, so it's fun to see the analysis. And I mean, you're taking, taking your time to look carefully and closely at like the provenance a lot of a lot of these things. It's like, I may not be aware of, of, of all this history, but no one ever was. This is, I was just reading Jung the other day and he was talking about how 
we have this idea that some like priest at some point sat down and says like, I'm going to like sucker all these people men by making up this story. And, and it, it never happened that way. It was just like these little bits of stories that, that emerged that people started telling and that they related to and they passed on and refined and it all happened like, like, I mean, I want to say like unconsciously or, or in some way that was not, not intentional. So, um, yeah, it's anyway, it's, it feels like mysterious. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. No, it cracks me up when, uh, say you've got some new atheist guy who likes to argue with you and he says, well, look at these stories that have like a similar, uh, death and rebirth structure therefore they're all come from some common source um as in like plagiarism kind of common source and i'm thinking sure. i'm thinking yeah that's the point you know there <laughs> it's true you know it's true to our very being and you know as a christian myself christ yeah. is the is the totality of all that story it's the you know, it's the beginning and the end of that whole narrative. It consumes all reality. The Bible says how, you know, the Son of God had to descend from heaven and reach the lowest down to Hades and descend up to, so he would fill the whole, the earth, all all levels. You know, it says that straight in the Bible. It's like, well, yeah, man, that's, that's, that's exactly why. Yeah, it's, it's wrapping up our, Every, every sort of experience that we have under sort of one thing. So one of our episodes is about dragons and it's mm. essentially the metaphor that every single story is a slaying the dragon story. You know, you've got the dragon, which is the challenge and you got the, the push, which is everything would be better off if you defeated the dragon. You can defeat it any way you want. You can slay it or you can befriend it if you look at how to shoot your dragon. Either way, once the dragon's been dealt with, then life is significantly better, not just for you, but for the, the community. And, and every story is like that, whether you're overcoming depression or whether you have uh, the tax man chasing you or whatnot, you know, it, it, <laughs> you've got all these different sort of understandings that there's these things, there's these sort of demons and these dragons to defeat in your life. And the, the wonderful thing about narrative is that we can express those kinds of uh, those, those ideas within storycraft and within that kind of idea and with Christianity it is very much the whole of mankind and a lot of and not, not even in Christianity because we are mankind then that is our story you know that's what we've developed and, and understood over thousands and thousands of years you've got a lot of um, cultures that believe in say the flood there's this great flood and then whatever god then happened created this new world out of you know the total destruction you know this this idea of the phoenix you know the, the death and the reborn better from the ashes it's it's a really and even in uh, alexi's dreams his first dream that he has he's soaring through the clouds you know he's the sword and there's this he's free <laughs> sort of god god being and you're like huh what does that mean it's not it's not literally all right let's, let's go through that but it's 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 more of the fact that we have that capacity to to relate to everyone on that kind of i guess that spiritual death and reincarnation level i guess because we all kind of have in our own stories that kind of part of us the old me had to die i had to put on this new self you know in order to progress in my journey uh, that's called character development but it's so, much, it's so much more than character development when it's real life. 
that's sort of the whole thing. Yeah. By the way, uh, Josh, I love that you pointed out as you're saying that the whole idea that he's like Lexi, like sheds clothing as, uh, as this like sign, like sign of freedom, you know, I, it definitely like, obviously like there's something I felt about that, the freedom that, 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 caused me to do that but that was definitely not something that was intentional but when i look back it's such a subtle thing as well but it's so consistent every single time (laughs) yeah like even to the degree of you know the time he goes in the cave and there's like grooves and stuff did i mention the point where he he hits his head off off a branch and his hat gets taken off i'm like bam we're in it already it's like yeah subtle thing it's like what the what gave you the idea to do that? Is it just like, because it's so specific, yeah. do you know what I mean? It just blows my mind. You know, it was not intentional, but there's so many things that just like feel right as you're doing them. Yeah. And uh, like, I'm, I'm thinking back to about, there's this whole thing where Alexi, I don't know if you guys, have you guys read the mini comic either? I don't know if you've seen that. No, I, did, I is was this, was the mini comic based on Green Monk? It came before. It was the first. It was the first thing they did with it. Yeah, but it's a so, similar story. Is it the same? Yeah, same, same character. Same character. Yeah. Yeah. So well, I haven't his, even I'll, seen I'll that. Send you, so. I'll send you guys a copy. Give me your address. I'll send you a copy. Yeah. But um, part of that too is like as he gets into the fight, there's a fight he gets into, and again, like he removes his hood. But like part of his character too is that he's a trickster, and for me, it's like he's he's this holy man, but he also like he plays tricks to kind of. Um, to kind of figure out, solve his problems. And that happens like in all of his challenges, there's always some sort of like, even even with the selection of the grass, even that's him trying to be clever. Um, and it's like, I don't know why that was important to me, but I even think about my grandpa, that's how my grandpa was. He was this very like pious dude, but he was also like a practical joker. And again, it gets this tension of like the law and also like finding your way of creativity in the midst of that. Um I don't know. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's yeah. every part of it, just, it blows my mind. I'm like, it's so um, disciplined to think about everything needs to be right. Not yeah. just like, I need to, it needs to make sense. It's just like, it needs to be right. What specific, what any part of this specific scene could I just change and see the through line? It's just, uh, it blows my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, um, I'm, I'm really glad you said trickster there because, um, like, I'm just thinking of every sort of moment, you know, the deer, the kids are playing, like trying to knock it out. Oh, two hits, and he's like, oh, I'll get one hit. Next, the kid is like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> um, it's a really, it's a really fascinating way to think about it. It's the idea of trying to, you know, if we th- if we look at if we look at rules and that structure, that masculinity is a sort of something solid and concise, but he's you know, he's like a river. He's like, yeah, this is part of me, but I can, I can, tw- I can move around it. You know, I can, I can find a way to adapt and solve, as you said, the problem. And I think that's the key. That's the key concept. It's, it's this, this idea of problems that need solved, and and it's the we need to rely on our own intuition in order to solve them, but also in a way that I guess doesn't break any of the rules that he's been sort of, sort of tasked with not breaking and that's the interesting thing about you know life and law and order uh, and, and chaos it's like we need a little bit of chaos in order to or a, li- a little bit of trickery we'll say i don't, I don't say a little yeah, bit of trickery yeah yeah in order to bypass or solve an issue in our own present life 
and I, it's a very relatable thing, I guess. I, I do like a good joke, but uh, <laughs> it, was, it was one of my favorite parts was every sort of interaction he had in the town. It was a, uh, it was like a, all right, okay, this is a, this is an interesting. How, how's he gonna? How's what's he gonna do this time? You know. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. It makes me remember, I remember reading the Seam Taleb and he talks about like the correct way to be religious is like, if you're going to be religious, you have to understand that part of the game is cheating a little bit. So <laughs> there's something about like being overly, overly rigid and uh, dude, Mormons love being super rigid about our religion, let me tell you. So, um, but um, yeah, I think that's part of it. It's like, yeah, there is law, but you do have to like, you do have to cheat a little bit. Mm -hmm. um but of course like by the end of the by the end of the story he's like breaking the law wide open so yeah. that's like yeah they really come to a head there um which i don't know how that plays into all of that um but i suppose it's 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 so we we talk about flexibility and being mm -hmm. flexible but there is a point where it snaps um when it snaps I suppose that's where the true story kicks in. Mm. Like uh, yeah, your man yeah. said, um, go not go away and save as many lives as you've as you've taken. And that's like that's the mending process. And I love how it ends. I didn't expect it to end like that, obviously. I mean, like because in our heads, the hero comes in, you know, gets rid of all the villains and is and is and is praised, but it's the complete opposite. It's You've, you've, you've taken you've taken you've, you've, you you were flexible you were bendy we we we, we the, all the lessons that the 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 elder has been telling him and yet it, it still breaks and still and i guess this is wonder. like the paradox of like of like adam and eve in the garden right mm. it's like to progress they were given a rule and that they had to break in, in order mm. to like progress yeah jo jordan peterson talks about how um <clears throat> What's what's a better world to live in? A world where there's the possibility of evil, or a world where evil can't happen, where you've no ability to choose. Um, and even even in Norse legends, uh, you've got you know the trickster Loki, but he's he is, he's creative, and he and he's got all these laws or insets. Um, one story in particular was when um, they they try and catch Loki uh, in the in the in the stream, and they make a, a, a net to catch him. And what he does is he, he turns into a fish, you know, mm -hmm. and then that's how he's sort of, they're so wriggly and he can, he can, he can, or no, sorry, I, I mix it up. When the gods tried to catch him with his hands, he would slip out, he would turn into a fish, and then they yeah. made the net to catch him. And that's sort of how fishing, that's why Vikings then you, like, start fishing and that's the legend behind them. But the, the need for the net would never existed if Loki didn't trick the gods. That's yeah. that's what progress is. That's what snapping does. You know, when you mend it, we actually get something better and something stronger than than uh, uh, than before. And I suppose that's the interesting thing about Green Monk. And if we if we really relate that back to Christ, because I don't know if I mentioned uh, at least what I'm going to say now in the series we did, but everything Christ did was like a level at a level scandalous. You know. Mm -hmm. The Jews thought he's, there's, there's going to be some revolutionary kind of guy to, you know, save him from the Romans. He wasn't. He was a guy who was not violent at all, you know. Um, they then, you know, communion. What is communion? Communion is cannibalism in, in a sense. You know, it's like, this is my body. You know, 
eat and remember me. This is my cup. This is uh, my blood. Drink, remember me. It's like we have this uh, Christian uh, history going back 2000 years, and we've somehow, you know, the scandal has been lost on us in a wee bit because it's like normal now. It's like our culture, but hang on a minute. That's kind of weird. Mm-hmm. That's kind of weird. And that's part, that's part of the story. Uh, you know, more more scandals. What yeah. he died—that's an important one. That's quite scandalous. You know, the Son of God yeah. becoming flesh and dying—that's that's a scandal. But all plays into the story. Yeah. I uh, think also um, one of my favorite. I don't know if you know this story. It's when um, so basically the New Testament, the, the Gospels, it's essentially filled with um, the teachers of the law trying to trick Jesus into committing mm-hmm. some kind yep. of sin. And essentially, uh, they bring the, uh, the the woman over who's accused of committing adultery. And according to the law of Moses, she needs to be stoned. And it's like an impossible situation because if he refuses to stone her, he's disobeying the law. But then if he does stone her, it's like, oh, well, you can't be, you know. But he says, um, he who is without sin cast the first stone. You know, it's that, it's that, you know, the trickery. It's the it's the water on the stone. It's the, I'm not doing anything to the stone. I'm not breaking the stone, but I'm, I'm, I'm actually... And that is embedded in so many cultures, and it's just a, it's just that kind of human, you know, real human experience that that transcends even our understanding in the present. Because people thousands of years ago had this exact same. Well, that's why we have these stories. That's that same narrative, you know. That it's not even just a rise and a fall, but it's uh, something that makes you rise up again. Yeah. So there's like two themes I want to point out here that I think are really interesting that, that kind of keep re-emerging. And one is like the trickery, you know, the cleverness that gets you kind of through the problem. And the other one is like the crucifixion, you know, or in Alexi's case, it's like, you know, um, breaking the law, like mm-hmm. to the, that dramatic extreme, you want to call that scandalous. Like there is this, this, this sense in, in which like, solving the problem isn't so much about us being clever but it's about us being broken mm. you know um and that feels like very alive for me as well that just like oh that's like that's such an essential part of my narrative has been like i can't figure this out and then just being like broken and then i don't know they use this they use this metaphor a lot of like light can't come through without like for something being broken right and a lot of times we talk about like the heart being broken or something like that but um, yeah, well, it's kind of like uh, inevitable. Those are the two things humans have to face, right? We yeah, but the, we can have the breaking. <clears throat> the question, though, is: so you said there, yeah, there's a there's a part of us that needs to be broken in order to to solve the problem. But <laughs> is that then to 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 bring it back together and to make it whole, or is it beneficial to accept that we're broken and we're always going to be broken? And mm. and that's just how you know it's 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 it comes to the understanding that you're not perfect, and it's just because you know that you're not perfect, essentially you can move on. Or is it something a little bit a little bit more, I guess, uh, uh, celestial than that? Is it is it a pursuit of wholeness? You know, is it a pursuit of something to become whole again, so that you never have to be broken again, so that you can live in a way that's whole? I guess that's kind of what I'm trying to understand because we can go on and on about trials and tribulations where we need to use a little bit of trickery and that we first need to be broken in order to become stronger, I guess. But 
when does that end? You know, when does <laughs> when do we become this sort of you know when, when do we get to heaven? Essentially, the light shines yeah. through the crack. Yeah, shines through the crack. Some of that, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, back to <laughs> it goes screen. back to being. It goes I'm back sorry. to like what I was saying about being an artist. I don't know if I if if that's me where you were. Like I had this definition of being an artist, and I had to be broken. I mean, me complaining Green Monk was actually an excruciatingly painful experience for me. Mm. I had this horrible midlife crisis after I was done with with Green Monk. I ended up going into into like I did couples therapy with my wife for for months and months and months. Like it was this excruciating pain where I was at this point in my life where I was like, "What am I doing in life? Why am I here? Like, why am I mis? Things should be perfect, and why am I miserable?" And I had to let go, and it was a painful experience of letting go. But I had to be broken and let go of my definition, and. You know, you say like, is it towards a new wholeness? And I think in a sense it is, but it's like, it's a bigger wholeness. You're saying like, okay, mm-hmm. actually this is, this is, you're seeing from a new perspective, right? Like, oh, this is a bigger picture than I thought it was, mm-hmm. you know? And I, I do think it is like, it is like a series of breakings though, you know, yeah. you keep, yeah. you keep going back and you're like, like, what am I still holding on to? What is still like causing me suffering? Um, You know, and I think there's both like, there is a Christian version of this idea of what, what, you know, Buddhists might call like, like not self. Right. Mm. And it's, it's more of kind of in relation to God. I've heard Christian mystics talk about it, like whatever oneness with God is. And this is me kind of, you know, from the little I know, but it is kind of about a a breaking of self and a letting go of self um, in the face of that, I think. Yeah. The, in the Christian sense, it's about, bearing your cross, essentially bearing your burdens, you know, becoming a Christian doesn't clear things up. It's actually, you're just going to endure, you know, if not more suffering sometimes. And um, mm-hmm. on all walks of life, you will be, doesn't matter what you believe in, there's going to be taunters. There's going to be people who don't, you know, understand where you're coming from. And um, certainly people who will not be bothered having conversations like this. Time mm-hmm. um, well, uh, myself yeah. by thinking the two things you said. So, we had this cave idea. There's a crack in the cave. Yeah. The light shines through. Yeah. What does that mean? It means we can see what's in the cave. And sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, maybe that's not it. Maybe that's not the end of all. As you said, there's multiple breakages. But what happens when we see in the cave? We see all the other problems that they face. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Sometimes you think, well, as long as I get the light in the cave, well, yeah. open the cave. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah what's in here ladies and gentlemen and then you clear all that out and there's another crack you know eventually you know in the uh christian uh uh, uh, way of putting it you can call that like sanctification Mm -hmm. or theosis it's because it's breaking down that barrier and related back to uh moses you know he had to take off his sandals to get to the burning bush why because it that was his coverings you know you need to take off your coverings like as we've mentioned in, in Greenmont, how that's a recurring theme. You know, you need to take off your, what's blocking you from God, obviously remove yeah. that. And, you know, part of the, you know, Jesus' story, he died, you know, to defeat, to, to satisfy the old covenant of the law, of, you know, and set, sin bringing, sin, the fruit of sin being death, you know. The law, all that the law could bring was was death. He, he, he fulfilled the old covenant, Rips the curtain in two, the covering, ladies and gentlemen, that stopped, uh, 
you know, the Holy of Holies being in contact with the general people, you know, is this covering from the Lord that's ripped into, that's less like, again, as you said, you know, you had this image of like the, the eye, I'd be like, I would put that in if I was like, <laughs> you know, which I think is so obvious, man. Um, but yeah, it all, all relates together. C.S. Lewis, I don't know if you're familiar with C.S. Lewis, I'm a big C.S. Lewis fan, but he says, um, Christi- I'm a Christian not just because I see the sun rising, because by it i can see everything else you know mm. it's not actually being what he means by that well my inter- interpretation of that is not it's not a christian because he can see the amazing glory of the sun but because he can it's actually a worldly perspective he looks down in the world and he can see it in a brighter sort of new perspective he can see wrongs like it's it's the idea that sin is uncovered it's been unmasked you know and yeah, yeah i just want to relate it back to what you said because yeah. you said uh about bearing your cross yeah. right and um what does jesus say uh or but, um he says uh his, his yoke is easy his burden is light and he says you know pick up your cross and follow me what and you know obviously we are told to be like christ christ died you know how do we all fit these things together? We've got the we've got the coverings <laughs> being gone, okay, which means we've got access to God now. What does that mean? We've you know uh, we've got the fact that the Lord died to do that, and we have to mimic Him now. Oh no, we have to mimic the guy who died on a cross, and that's supposed to be easy. That's like a mm. how does that all fit together? And it's back to what you said at the very start of or no how long ago, by following the Spirit. It's now. It's the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law, if that makes sense. It's why, you know, um, what the Sermon on the Mount, okay, the law says um, adultery is bad, okay? The spirit of the law is if you look on a woman with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart, you mm. know? The law is if you murder someone, that's bad. The spirit of the law, if you, if you hate someone, you've committed murder in your heart. It's it's this basically, I could call, I could go on and on about this stuff. He, <laughs> but, he has, he no, has, I want it. and I have. <laughs> but it's it's the idea that we are no, you're no longer slave to sin. If you're, what does that mean? If you're a slave to sin, it's you can't help but be servant to your sin. Okay, and if you're now no longer slave to sin, you're a slave to God. You can't help but do his will if that makes sense so that's what makes it easy you don't need to teach someone to be sinful because in most cases you know unless they're like a saint obviously but um you know from the get-go you're you're raising your your kids you don't need to teach them to be sinful because you know they're already slave to sin that's their natural way they're the the burden of being sinful is light for them that makes sense but since Christ, that it flips it on its head, mm. you know, through this process of sanctification, removing of coverings, you know, yeah. the burden's supposed to be light. If I if I were to condense it, down, I, sort of. Oh yeah, no, continue, please. I want to. So I want to. Yeah, this. You said something. This all connects to. I'm thinking of C.S. Lewis as well. So the Great Divorce. I think there's a wonderful metaphor in the Great Divorce, where it's those that go into heaven when they're first in heaven. It's painful to be in heaven. They walk on the grass and the grass is like so real and so true that it causes excruciating pain to walk on the grass. And I think this is a metaphor that's very related to what you talk about, the crack opening up and seeing the light illuminating inside. I very much see 
the spiritual path as this like the illumination and it's like okay we've got to walk on the grass and like what is the process of going from a place where you want to sin and i mean i may i may conceive it in a different way but essentially it's the same thing to actually the momentum moving in the other direction where it's easy it says my cross is easy to bury to my like my cross is easy or my burden is easier what i can't remember exactly yoke is easy right? burden is light. my yoke is easy right pick up my cross he's actually he's saying something that's like a totally embodied thing he's saying like yes when you learn how to do that the momentum actually goes in the other direction where it does become easier to do that mm. you know and that's like the arc of spiritual practice is the more you shine the light in places you go through a period where it's painful and it's like jesus i do not want to have to look at this like i don't want to have to look in detail at what my sexuality is you know but if i want to act morally with with and with some sort of like moral sexual boundaries i've got to shine some light in there mm. and that's not something that's 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 fun to look at and that it, it it applies to all other parts of life where the more you sh shine light into areas that don't want to be seen like the more painful it is but also it's like with time that becomes like a a nourishing process like you taught sanctification you talk about that 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 process of sanctification and there's the image i like to think of where it's this it's this process of inclusion where if you want to say things become more illuminated i would feel it as like it's this process of opening love to um encompass more and more things where yeah. you're like, oh, this is all love. Like, this is all, everything that I am is already completely, totally loved. Like, right mm -hmm. down to the bone. It's turning um, the heart of stone into a heart of flesh, mm -hmm. as it's put. Um, what I think, so there's three things. Is a good, is a good <laughs> Presbyterian. Three points for you. No, uh, just really. Are you guys, I have to, I have to ask. Are you guys a different, different denomination that you? Yeah. Guys grew up presbyterian um i don't know like culturally i would say like like yourself i have such a connection i feel like i can't leave mm. i can't leave well, my, my whole back you know i need to go back to the dragons you know figure out what's going on back there um i don't know what i am denominationally wise um i would say i'm a christian but i, I also value i value what the, the orthodox say i value what Catholics say, mm. um, value what a lot of Protestants say, um, and at the end of the day, a lot of it, a lot of the dis, a lot of the differences of the, it's a lot of miscommunication and disagreement, which is why I find it so hard to relate to a lot of uh, a lot of the people I know actually, because most people are normal people; they don't worry about the, uh, you know, about doctrinal kind of things. But you know, I'm a strange person; I worry about these things, but. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i was just struggling through right uh and i so i really related to when you were um telling your story because about uh you leaving your church because i grew up in reformed presbyterian which is presbyterian crank to 11 um and uh basically what happened was uh one by one i'm part of a big family and uh, one by one my family left but i refused uh, i was like no this is you know this is i was very like turning into like an elder you know but mm. uh there was there was one or two things that i didn't quite understand and i went to talk to my minister about it and uh put, to basically put a long story short uh two years worth of arguments and disagreements essentially developed from that 
you know, <laughs> and uh, and I was like, this is not an environment. I, I grew up enough to know the basic principles, but now I'm in an environment where somebody is actively trying to change sort of the, what I originally thought. And what that did was that, well, it affected me in a very negative way. I left my church and I just decided to say, have free reign, you know, just be like, you know what, that's, if that's what that is, I don't want any part of it. Um, and that became one of the darkest sort of periods of my life. And essentially what happened was I ended up going to my parents' church that they went to. And I slowly, but surely, I don't want to say rebuilt. I want to say sort of reconnected. So they were always sort of there in the back of my head. You know, there's always things that I was like, actually, I'll not go anywhere near that because of the basic kind of morality and principles that I was um, brought up with. And then I joined a new church and I found very quickly just how, not only how wrong I was, but how 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 um, different the perspective was because, and this this goes back to those three things I was I was talking about. Uh, the more righteous you become, I think in the starting phases, or you become more aware and more guilty, I guess, of your sin. You know, you're like I'm trying to be righteous, but there's all these things holding me back. But then, with Christianity, you get to a point where Christ died for those sins move on you know remember them but move on and it's like it's like you said walking on grass is painful it's acknowledging you know because it's, it's not the grass that's causing them pain it's the sinfulness of them it's they're they're, they're not used to such purity well it's not purity. just the sinfulness it's the still grasping on yeah. the old self and here here's the thing right so i'll use like you brought up c.s lewis i'll keep with ideas he's mentioned before you know a lot some you could say uh, why would i be a christian and someone might say you'll live forever and i'll be like yes but here's the funny thing even in the christian story no one gets out of dying okay so either either you die because you know you're you die in your sins you don't repent you're you know you sort of hold on to your sinful self you don't want to be fixed you're burned up because you know it's a painful but you don't want to let go so you're going to be burnt up but there's also a sense where, well, you do need to go through a dying process. That's what repentance is. Dying is letting go of that stuff. And, you know, in that way of thinking about it, C.S. Lewis says, you know, the gates of hell are locked from the inside. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I think that's completely true because it's a rejection of God. It's not like... Uh, that's the only way I, I can think of saying it. It's a rejection of God, keep him out, lock him from the inside. I want, I don't want to be changed. And the opposite of that is I'm opening, I'm removing all the coverings, you know, fix me. But there's something, there's something in that. Um, if I, if well, I, before you, before you, <laughs> want, because I need to finish that. Both are the same elements. Both, both are fire, but the difference between purifying fire and fire that is, hellfire that destroys is just is is the same source it's both the it's both go, it, it's the fire of god but mm. one is sanctification because you're letting go of that it's not you're not letting it burn you up by you be like no I, I want to hold on to this the other way is you want to hold on to it and you're being burned up but both it's the same thing as with fire. Mm. Uh, what were you saying? I'm just, if, if it's just to condense it, because we're talking about a lot of spiritual things, um, Alexei, at the end of his journey, 
you know, he goes, or at the end of his story, he goes on this, you know, journey, you know, this pilgrimage, and essentially, he's still going to live with, he's still going, he doesn't, he doesn't rebel, you know, he doesn't become a time, you know, or you might have different plans, I'm not writing the story for you, but in my <laughs> head, you know, he's going to fulfill what was asked of him, he's still going to live by the rules, it's right, he's still going to be trickster, he's still going to be like that, but it's that idea that he has that sort of the building blocks of his principles. And that I think is so key on why I guess religion and spirituality is so important and so fundamental. Um, you know, the teachings of our elders, it's so fundamental because it's what they were taught by and, and that their elders, elders and their elders, elders, and it's what moves us essentially uh, forward. I don't know if you know this book, uh, have you heard of the Pilgrim's Progress? I'm familiar with it. Yeah, so this is probably my, like my favorite book of all time. There's many, many, many versions. The uh, it was first published in 1678. So, uh, but the story of the Pilgrim's Progress is um, it's it's just such a, a pure form of art because characters are named after well, they're characters, you know. So you've got somebody called Help who helps people, and you've got somebody called Evangelist evangelizes to people. And um, the story is essentially, it's, it's the human story in, in a, hu and a human's experience with God and Christ. And what it is, is essentially, you've got this guy called Christian, and he discovers one day that he has this huge burden on his back, and he can't get it off, and he's ashamed of this burden. And he lives in a city called Destruction, and he finds a book, and it happens to be the Bible, and he realizes that Destruction is going to get destroyed. And he's trying to convince all of his um, family to come with him to try and rid of this burden and, and, and save the city. Uh, but none of them believe him because of how sort of grotesque he looks. Basically, it follows his journey and it's a massive metaphor, not just for, I guess, a Christian, but it's also just people's walk uh, through life. Because as you've said, you've had spiritual experiences, God-like experiences, and that's exactly what happens in the Pilgrim's Progress. So I, I would really encourage you to... Um, I wouldn't really recommend this version. This version's kind of like a it's old English. It's, it's old English, but also it's a study <laughs> version. It connects. I mean, maybe you'd like that, but it connects all of the kind of moments that are said and links it directly to passages in the Bible that you can read. So basically, it's consistent mm. with Scripture. Uh, because why would he write a story about Christians that isn't consistent? So that's the version I have, and it's brilliant. But my mom used to read me like a children's version when I was younger, and that's when I fell in love with it. There's millions and millions of different kinds of versions, but um. Honestly, it's just such a really good and raw way of thinking about, you know, life and, and, and humanity. And as Josh said, um, I'll spoil it. There's no, like, we, there is death, you know, there is death. And basically, how do you get to heaven is you need to die. Um, but we can, that, that could be a whole other video, essentially. But I really, really recommend it. It's done wonders to me. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, it's worth a look at. And one well, thing I want to ask you about before we wrap things up is, um, so you're talking to John Bijou. Are you familiar with his work on the God's Dog uh, graphic novel? Yeah, that's how I got uh, tied in with him is, um, yeah, he reached out to me about maybe doing some, some work with that. So um, I've read I've read it, yeah. And uh, you kind of told a little bit of the story of, of the character as well in the analysis. can't remember the name. Uh, Saint Saint Christopher. St. Christopher, yeah. Yeah. So I've got um, a PDF of it as well. Um I'll, I'll probably do another similar series that I've done with Grumont for it. But um 
yeah, I just want to get your opinion on. Um, so obviously, you thought it was a very important that you told the Green Monk story. Um, mm-hmm. I think in general, it's important to tell the important stories. And we're thinking, why is it important to tell the important stories? What 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 effect does telling stories have on each other? Because I I feel like it's a subtle effect, and I don't know. I don't know where to put my finger on it, and obviously that's part of that's part of the the mystery of it. I don't know where to put the finger on it, but I'm just wondering what if you've got anything, any insight on the importance of stories. I suppose because you yeah. can tell a story and be like, "Oh, that I really, um, I resonated with yeah. that story." It's like the tailor's daughter. Like the message at the end of that is so simple. You know, it's do good to others and good will come to you. That's the story of the animals who turned into them and they they live sort of happily ever after and all their brothers and all the people around them. Such a such a it's such a it's such a simple message, but it's presented in a way of importance and memory and i think you know that's, it, it's that's better true. than a list of principles that you read memorize <laughs> do you know what i mean that's surely that's got to do with, that's got to have something to do with it because we live in stories right yeah we live in abstract uh, laws and rules and principles we live in stories i'm just I, want to I think with that yeah so i've got a thought here and that is um the way so everything, I'm trying to think about, figure out my way into this. Um, I'll, first, I'll tell a story. So I, I uh, when I was going through kind of my, my midlife crisis, um, I ended up picking up a copy of uh, Wizard of Earthsea. I don't know if you guys have ever read that. You guys familiar no. with that? Ursula Le Guin. Heard of it? I, um, is it a fantasy novel, is it? It's a fantasy novel. Yeah. Um, I... I I read it, and now the second I picked it up, first page, I was electrified, and I was like, "This is a story I need to read right now." I read it through, and immediately I like started at the beginning, and I read it again, just like two times all the way through. Like there was a sense in reading that book where it was like, "This is exactly what I need in my life." Oh, Babe, no, don't worry, yeah. don't worry, continue, continue, just continue. <laughs> the darkness. Um, Robot so, sorry, I'm just trying to mute. Sorry, that's okay. You guys getting the the camera back online? Yeah, I just ran out of battery. Okay, there we go. So. All right. <laughs> um, and I want to share that just to share how powerful an impact the story had on me, and it and it and the story really told me exactly what I needed to do in my life. It's essentially the story of a young wizard who, in his arrogance, calls forth a shadow beast. Uh, into existence and then the whole rest of the story is this creature and he goes to all of his mentors he's learning to be a wizard and they're all like we don't know how to defeat this thing we've heard stories of it but in all of our wisdom there's nothing that tells us how to how to defeat this creature that you called into existence we know it has its uh, and so and all the magic is like based on like names so if you know the true name of something you have power Mm -hmm. over it and they're like we don't know this thing's true name yada 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 so the whole, the next like half of the story or, or more is just him being chased by this creature, being hounded by this creature. And he's like, how do I escape from this thing? And it's just misery. You know, he ends up taking refuge in this, in this Northern kingdom that has special magic that protects him. But there's a sense there's something deeply wrong about like this place where he's like protecting himself. And finally, 
he makes a run for it. He's getting chased down. He loses everything and he ends up on the doorstep of his master. And he says like, I have just lost everything. I can't defeat this thing. His master basically gives him a pep talk. And finally, at this point, this is the midpoint of the story. He realizes the answer. He's like, oh, I need to chase this thing. I need to hunt this creature down. And he leaves this note on his, on his master's door that says, master, I go hunting. And he leaves out on his boat and he says, like, I don't know how this is going to work. I'm going to drag. If I have to just like grab this thing and drag it to the bottom of the ocean, I'm, ch I'm chasing this thing down. And it, it lit the switch in me where I'm like, oh, I need to stop ignoring everything in my life that I'm terrified of. And I need to turn around and face it. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's a real power in stories and trusting in stories as being far more than, than entertainment. And it, I will say that that experience um, completely changed my life. It changed the trajectory of my life of someone that I, I was before that point and before certain changes clinically depressed to now someone where I absolutely love my life. I have an amazing life. Um, and there's something about stories that they're about teaching us how to look at the world. That's what a good story does is it, it transforms our way of looking. Um, there is this idea, obviously, from like Catholicism of transubstantiation. Mm -hmm. And I think the best stories, that's what it does to, to how we relate to the world. It doesn't transform things, but there's a transubstantiation. Yeah, where we're suddenly like, oh, as well. yeah. Yeah. this isn't a bunch of stuff. It's like the world isn't just a bunch of stuff for me to manipulate. It's not a game of Minecraft where I'm just... This is stuff for me to put together to make into things. It's suddenly like, oh, there's sacredness in the world, mm. you know? And that's what I see, like, the the purpose of stories is, is it's it's a, it's a pointing out to us, like, this is the way to look at this thing. Mm. Um, that's, and, that's an excellent, excellent way of putting it. Um, yeah. yeah. That's exactly, exactly right. I would 100% agree with that. Stories do have that effect. Um, especially especially fantasy novels um you know there's something you know we can apply ourselves to but not in a way that this is literally me it's something that i guess action novels and stuff can't really you know it's like read it for a good read but a fantasy novel really gives you that I, I guess that state of stillness you know you know you sit and you read a book and you, and you understand i think that's the key thing is you understand not just the story but where you're at at this moment in time but i think it's interesting that um what you you've Yes, stories can affect us this way, but if you're writing the story from an author's perspective, if you have that with the intent, it's almost not going to work, which is... Yeah. 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 Well, <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, right now, I just feel like I need to focus on some artistic endeavour. Heartability. Um, it's going to take the form of music, for better or worse. But, yeah, um, I think this is a good point to wrap up. Um, it's honestly a pleasure speaking to you, Brandon. We had so many technical difficulties at the start. You can see the microphones <laughs> in the background. We had all set up, ready to go two hours beforehand. Uh, and then ten minutes, I heard it. Oh, where's the signal gone? Okay, need yeah. <laughs> my goodness. Yeah, but was... we're 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 honestly so 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 delighted to have you and uh thank you so much for giving us your time as well <laughs> really really appreciate that and um, yeah just take care of yourself yeah and uh 
And yeah, how awesome. Can't wait for the for the next green monk. But uh, yeah, yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, hard work you're doing with uh, John Peugeot mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been a privilege, guys. Thank you. Of course, and until next time.